Continuing our series through the book of, or uh, through the first three chapters of Genesis this morning. Today we're going to finish out uh, chapter one. Uh, so we're through chapter one. Um, next week, just a heads up, next Sunday, uh, Scott will be filling in for me. Uh, we'll be on vacation next uh, Sunday. Uh, so uh, we'll take a break from this series. We'll come back to it when I, get, when I return. So let's uh, start with prayer and then we'll get into our lesson. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the rest that we have in Jesus Christ and the peace that we know in him. Father, we do pray that you would lead us by your spirit through this section of scripture. We pray that you would be uh, with the teacher this morning, that your truth would be expounded clearly and that Christ would be glorified and that your name would be exalted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I would like to... Uh, continue or add a little bit to what we looked at last time. Um, some of these things we are going to, we are, Lord willing, planning to come back to um, later um, as we go through uh, these, these chapters, so chapter 2 and chapter 3, especially when Adam sins and Eve sins and they fall. Uh, we're going to talk about some of these uh, topics later on, but I would like to just broach some of them a little bit more here. Uh, man was made in the image of God. We saw that uh, last time. Now this image, uh, though it's marred by sin, it's definitely distorted by sin, it still remains in man. Uh, if you think about James 3, uh, there James is talking about the tongue. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it curse people who are made in the likeness of God. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so we see there that vestiges of God's glory are still seen in every single man, woman, and child, and that they are made in the image of God, regardless of, regardless of faith, regardless of uh, their spiritual status. They are nevertheless still have something of the image of God in them. Uh, or they are the image of God. Uh, we are rational creatures. We have a mind and a will. And if we think about some of the teachers that we looked at in previous lessons, some of the unbelieving uh, scientists like Stephen Hawking and uh, some others that we, uh, I quoted uh, from, uh, even though we disagree with them, we disagree with their stances and some of their theories, nevertheless, we can still see something of the glory of God in them. They are still the image of God. And because they are the image, they can think about these things. They have minds. They have a will. And so it's, if you think about it in that way, it's certainly somewhat fascinating to see how humans, men and women, can think about the heavens. We can think about the origin of the earth and about God and our place in this world. Animals don't do that. Um, and so even in their thinking and their writing, their works, we can still see uh, sparks uh, of God's glory in them. Or, um, the word that Calvin uses, scintile, it's, uh, um, I believe it's a Latin word, it just means spark. So there's little uh, remnants of God's glory in, in people, even though, even unbelievers. And so according to James, if Christians curse image bearers, then we curse the God whose image they bear. Uh, men and women everywhere are also 
uh, continually and immediately aware of their image. And so we are all image, and unbelievers also are aware that they are the image of God. They suppress that truth in unrighteousness, but nevertheless they are aware of the image-bearing status. Calvin says this uh, rather famous quote. He says, God himself has implanted in all men a certain understanding of his divine majesty. Ever renewing its memory, he repeatedly sheds fresh drops. And so even as people like Stephen Hawking write their theories about the origin of the world, and they they essentially eliminate the presence of God in most of their writings, even as they write, even as they think, they know that they are the image of God. They, they, they understand that his glory is there just in the very fact that they exist and they can think and they can move and work. And so uh, men and women everywhere are the image of God still and they are responsible uh, for what they do as image bearers. Uh, okay, so here we see um, that God blesses his newly created image bearers. Now, this is a benediction from God. Be fruitful and multiply. multiply. This is a benediction from God to the first man and woman. Now, this blessing is very similar to the blessings that he pronounced upon the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Remember, he said there, be fruitful to those creatures. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Now this blessing that we see here is repeated essentially later on in Genesis after the flood. In Genesis 9, uh, God says to Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So very similar command, blessing, benediction, whatever you want to call it, uh, is given to Noah and his, um, his family after the flood. Now, what can we make of these similarities? There's a blessing to animals, and there's a blessing to, uh, a similar blessing to animals, and a blessing to, later on, to Noah and his family. What, what can we make of this? Well, two observations can be made here. Uh, the meaning behind this blessing and command is partly found in what happened before, or previously, in creation. Just as God filled the domains of heaven... He filled the domain of the seas with all kinds of abundant life. He filled the heavens with all kinds of abundant life, namely uh, birds. Just as God filled those domains, so too these new male and female human beings made in the image of God are to do the same. They are to fill their domain with what? With children, with other image bearers. God has determined that in this world, that this world in which we live, this world is fit for, is made for, the very thing that brings him the most glory. What is that? Men and women made in the image of God. He has his his image bearers in this house to bring him glory uh, until the end of time. Now, Uh, That's what men and women are to do. This new family, Adam and Eve, were to do just that. They were to fill the world um, with other image bearers, through children, with children. Now, um, in the ancient Near East, uh, 
in which the time in which the Israelites lived, um, typically uh, the understanding that one was the image of God or was a divine representation of God, that was reserved for kings, right? You might think about uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Um, he ordered that a statue would be built and, and would be uh, uh, worshipped, right? Uh, that was the kind of the understanding, or that was the understanding in the ancient Near East. Kings were the image of God. Kings were a direct representation of the heavenly beings on earth. No one else, uh, no one else attained that status, or no one else carried that status because they weren't kings. They were just peasants, right? They were just citizens. Um, but God says here, and he says to his people, no, I've, I've placed my kings and queens in the world. It's everyone, all people, every human being, every individual, man, women, woman, and child, bears the image of God. They glorify God in a way through just being what they are, the uh, image bearers. So every person is, is like a king in this regard. We each bear the image of God. And so we should honor other image bearers above the rest of creation as such. And so if we can think about it in this way, Adam and Eve were royal figures blessed with a divine mandate to populate their world with a lineage of royal family members. And so fill the world, Adam, Eve, with other people that bring me glory. That's the command that came to this first couple. So that's one observation that can be made. We're talking about the similarities here between the blessing of the fish and the, the other animals, the birds, and then the blessing that comes on Noah and the blessing that's given here to Adam and Eve. Uh, they were to fill the world with other image bearers. The second, um, the second observation, and I'll stop after this, even though the blessing here is similar to the one given to the birds and the fish, it is nevertheless much different. Animals do multiply. They multiply and they fill their domains through offspring, through male and female pairings among species. But if you look at the animal kingdom, this is often done through uh, the male animal having multiple partners, right? So this is a promiscuous male and female pairings of species coming together to fill the world or to fill their, domain, their specific domains uh, with offspring. Men and women, on the other hand, are called to fill the world through the holy union of marriage. Adam and Eve were to be married. We'll see that uh, later in the first wedding ceremony of all time. Uh, God presents Eve to her husband. That is how... Uh, other image bearers were to fill the world through the holy union of man and woman in marriage. Uh, Jesus comes back to this in the New Testament. He says um, to those who were listening to him, to the unbelieving Jews, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so, very different. 
right, than what you see in the animals. The animals uh, pair up in all kinds of ways, multiple partners. Uh, on the other hand, with men and women, with Adam and Eve, it was to be a holy union, a, a, a monogamous relationship between man and woman, holy matrimony bringing into the earth other image bearers. Um, in fact, if you think about this, the mandate to fill the world can only be filled. It can only be completed through man and woman in marriage together filling the world. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth is what God said to Adam and Eve. Indeed, and then later we'll see that you know, Adam is alone for a while in chapter 2. Well, Adam cannot fulfill that mandate without the woman. And so man and woman as husband and wife together, multiplying through childbearing, completes creation. We have all this wonder, these wonderful things going on in, the, in these six days of creation. Now on day six, when he's done, when God is done making man and woman, uh, male and female in the image of God, uh, what does he say? Instead of the normal approval of this is good, right? That's what he said when he uh, created the other things, the sun, the moon, and he created fish and animals. He looked at what he created and he said, uh, it is good. Now that man is created and woman is created, he looks at his completed project and he says, this is very good. And so, <clears throat> um, this is what man was to do. Man was created in the image of God to, to give him glory in a special way that animals and the rest of created things could not. And then this world was to be filled with those image bearers to bring God glory. I'll stop there. Any questions or thoughts on that? Any comments? Yeah, Brian. Yeah. 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 That's a great. That's another difference. Yeah. Good point. So, in um, the text seems to indicate that God brought into existence multiple numbers of animals, whole herds and flocks, and and yet with man, there's just two. Right? There's one one pair, Adam and Eve. Um, it's very different. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Carolyn. Yeah, sure, yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So the question is about Jacob and Esau and how God 
we are told that God loved Jacob over against Esau. Right? We're reminded of that again in, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 9. Uh, that particular instance uh, deals with the election of God and saving uh, a certain number of people from fallen mankind, right? So he elects certain individuals and saves them in Christ. And it's only because of his divine purpose, not because Jacob was better than Esau, but only because God chose him. Um, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, right? So it's a little bit different. Um, How it's related uh, to this um, we'll get to that because man hasn't fallen yet, right? Right now, they're good. They're perfect. They're, they haven't sinned. And so long as they stay obedient, and they'll fill the world with other obedient children, right? But eventually they fall. And so um, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and we're actually, we'll, I'll mention that again towards the end, the connection there. Between sin and what's happening here. Good question, though. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Questions? Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, One last thing here with this section. Um, uh, This royal couple is given the the mandate to subdue the earth and have dominion over uh, the creatures. And so, what does that mean? Well, they were to cultivate the earth, they were to make it, the earth, a place, a home for their children, habitable, right? Uh, what, it, what had just happened in the first moments of creation, the first six days up until this point, what was the Lord doing? He was making a home for us. He was making it habitable. That's what these image bearers were to do. They were to reflect God's glory in subduing the ground, cultivating it, uh, perhaps even building uh, a tent for themselves or structures, although I'm not, um, I'm not sure if they would need shelter in the same sense that we do now in, the, in a fallen world. Um, but they, they were to image God in the sense that they were to cultivate the ground and make it a place uh, that was habitable for their children, make it, make it like a home. Now, this takes us to, for me at least, uh, I, this helps us, right, and I, I think as Christians especially, in our daily tasks, right? Um, what do we do in general throughout the week? We make this place habitable for others and for our families, right? Even at our homes. You're folding laundry, uh, washing the, the counters on your kitchen, you know, very mundane task, right? Most of us, if we had a choice, we pr- would prefer not to do those things. Um, I'd rather be, you know, sitting on the couch watching Netflix is usually our thought, right? than having to do these dishes. Um, but on the, even those small, mundane tasks, tasks, you are reflecting God's glory. You're an image bearer. You're making the place habitable. You're making a place that's orderly, that's beautiful, that's habitable uh, for the family um, and, and, and for others. And in fact, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our, our jobs um, that we work, that's, that's exactly what we do. They're... they're you work to, on, in some way, make this world a habitable place for families, for image bearers. And so 
I think, it, I, I think that helps, or it can help, if you, if you think about it in this way, uh, to give what we do m- meaning. Uh, uh, there's a certain dignity to even some of those mundane tasks, tasks that we do throughout, throughout the week. Um, doesn't make it, doesn't always make it more fun, but uh, it could help, I guess. Uh, the animals were subsumed under uh, Adam and Eve's dominion uh, to be used in whatever way they pleased to, to do that. They were to be lords over, especially Adam, to be lords over all of creation, all the animals. They were to be used in service of, of, that, of this mandate. God says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree which seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast, he says, to every bird and everything that creeps on the ground, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. All right, so the abundant provision of God for man is revealed in this verse. God provides for us. He feeds us. Even before man was in existence, he was not created yet. God made his food. He made the trees. He made the plants of the ground. The mention of the abundant food source also prepares the way for the prohibition of the one tree. Remember, we'll get there in the next chapter. God tells this family, you can have any of any tree. I've created all this food for you, all the fruit of, of the ground, the fruit of the trees. It's all for you, as, as you please, except for one tree. The one tree you cannot uh, eat from. And so this, this, uh, this declaration here, you can have all, this, all these plants for food, and all the fruit for food, it prepares us uh, for that. And so, uh, what does this mean? Well, Adam and Eve, what were they to do? Well, they've been given a word from God, fill the earth, build families, make this place a habitable, habitable place for your children. As you do so, remember, I provide for you. That's something of what Adam and Eve were to do. I've given you all this for food. Before you were even in existence, I knew what you needed and I provided for you. And God, of course, still does this today and he does this in a special way for us, his children. Um, Think about what Jesus says uh, later in his ministry. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? So Adam and Eve were to do their work and trust that God would provide for their daily bread. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying to us here. I've redeemed you. I've given you the world. I will provide for you. Do not be anxious. And in fact, we're uh, we're preaching about that in just a little bit about anxiety. Uh, one more thing, and I'll stop for, for more questions. Um, so, so long as Adam and Eve remained obedient to God's word, being fed from his hand and being content with that, content with what he'd given them, content with the boundaries he was about to set upon them, you shall not eat of this one tree. So long as they were content with being fed from God's hand, trusting in him, remaining obedient to God's word, then this ground that he gave to them would 
bring abundant fruit for them. It would uh, cause, he would cause fruit to grow. They would have plenty to live off of so long as they remained obedient. Now we'll see, uh, Lord willing, later that certain uh, dramatic changes come upon the land because of Adam's sin. Thorns and thistles, so it's a very different relationship after sin enters the world. Um, But before that happened, God gave to his children everything that they needed um, to live on. To put it another way, Adam and Eve were not lacking in anything when they chose to eat of the forbidden fruit. They had no excuse. That's what this uh, declaration here prepares us for. Any questions or comments? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, good. All right. Yes, Una. Yeah, verse 29. So this, does this verse talk about, or is it prohibiting uh, eating animals, right? Um, it, appears, it appears that way. I could, it is possible that perhaps uh, the animals were something that man did not need to eat, to live off of. It could, that is certainly possible. Um, however, he also did say, have dominion over the creatures. So it's also possible that with that dominion, Adam and Eve could decide that uh, I'll have a steak tonight. <laughs> right? um, and so uh, one of the, uh, there's one place, or there's a couple places, and I mentioned this last week. Um, uh, in Psalm 104, I encourage you to read that psalm. We won't look at it today, but In Psalm 104, the psalmist is praising God for his creation, and he mentions the original week of creation, the establishing of the sun and the moon and the stars. And within that, he also praises God and says, you provide the lions their prey uh, for food. And so the animals are eating each other, and it's a revelation of God providing for his his creatures. Um, and so, if you, if you take that and say, well, animal death, maybe it was, wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Adam and Eve possibly could have eaten animals here. If you look at that scripture. Uh, you also, there's another place in um, uh, uh, First or Second Timothy, <laughs> you always get those confused, um, where uh, God says, to Timothy, uh, be careful of these false teachers, for they they forbid uh, food. Right? They they order people to abstain from food as part of a, their religion. And then he says, God created everything to be received with thanksgiving. So everything is uh, is good for food. Um, that could have been the case in the beginning. Um, and so there's you know I guess there's arguments could be made on both both sides. I think the main point, though, is that the main point that we need to take from this, from this is that they were prohibited one tree, and, which is a plant, 
right? A tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and that is very important in chapter 2. And so, um, and we'll talk about that some more when we get there. But uh, that, this declaration prepares us uh, for that. That's a good question. Um, and we talked about this before. I think, you know, when we're thinking about that, the animals and the death of animals, did they, you know, did an ant get stepped on before Adam sinned? Um, I think you want to just keep in mind that animals are not made in the image of God. Um, and that's something that we see in society today. We, we treat animals as if they're, they're people. In fact, I mentioned an atheist who wants to, uh, Stephen, or not Stephen Hawking, um, what's his name? Dawkins, Richard Dawkins. He's a famous atheist. He, he's part of a movement to give uh, apes human status, right? And so, you know, we don't want to do that. Animals are not made in the image of God. They're not murdering each other, right? And we're not murdering animals when we cook a steak. And so I think as Christians we need to hold that. Yeah, but excellent question. Ah, yes. Excellent. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. Sure. Anybody want to baptize your, anybody want to baptize Fluffy? No? Um, no, we're not going to do that. Um, never heard of that. That's, that's crazy. Baptizing animals, okay. That's a new one. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, back Back to the original question, was very good. Um, what, what are we to think about science or, you know, the scientists, biologists using animals uh, in testing for medication or um, other things? Um, yeah, that seems to be one extreme, and then the other extreme is to treat them as, as humans. Well, of course, we don't want to treat them as humans. They're not humans. Enjoy them. Uh, you know, I, I have... I have we have a family dog, and you know when he when he dies, it'll be sad. We'll be sad, right? Um, uh, we enjoy you, know, you can enjoy your pets, but they're not people. They're they're not people. They they do. We do get enjoyment from them, um, and as Christians, we get enjoyment from them in the sense that they're made by our Father in heaven, and so we we see something of His glory. And the fact that they're with us for so long and they're gone, you know, there's a sadness there, and that's fine. But they're not humans. Um, on the other side of that, uh, the dominion that's given to man here should not be um, abused. And so there are ways in which men can abuse animals in a way that's not honoring to God. And it's not entirely helpful. Um, 
there's, there's all kinds of pretty horrific ways in which people do things to animals for the sake of science and study that and I'm not sure if it's in the end actually helpful. Now at the same time, if you're talking about doing a study on rabbits or rats for a medication that could possibly save a person's life, I think probably that that's good. That in the end can be helpful. We have dominion over them. They're not people. Scientists aren't necessarily, again, they're not murdering animals to test medicine. They're testing medicine on animals to hopefully help other image bearers. So um, it's complicated uh, where to draw the line, but those are the things that I think we should think about. Okay, well, let's keep going. Good question, Unha. Um, last couple things here. Um, uh, so man was to trust in God's abundant provision. Um, God preserved his original mandate after the fall. Um, after the fall into sin, Adam and Eve bore Cain and Abel. They still had children, so God, even though they forfeited the right to have children, God was merciful and still gave them children. He's still given the world children over and over and over again. Cain began having children, and then later Seth had children, and so on. And so from this first pair came all the people of the earth. And we see this in Acts 17. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So everyone that you see today is from God. <laughs> he, he, still, he still brings image bearers into the world. Um, and so in that way, he didn't, and he didn't have to. He's, he's merciful. Um, now, uh, let's think about here as we close about Christ. Christ, um, we always want to keep in mind that Adam is a type of Christ. He foreshadows Christ. Christ comes as the second Adam. And he restores what was lost in the fall. He perfectly obeys he perfectly obeys his father. He trusts his father at every point. Adam disobeyed. He will disobey. In, in just a minute, we'll, a little bit, we'll see that. Um, and because he disobeyed, he dis- near, very nearly destroyed the image of God that he was. He distorted this image. But Christ comes as a second Adam. He restores the image in us and Christians, those who are united to him by faith. The present earth and all of its inhabitants, all of heaven and earth, who, belong, who does it belong to? It belongs to Jesus, the second Adam. He has dominion over all of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And his absolute, um, the present earth and its inhabitants serve his absolute lordship. So it's the world, the earth belongs to him. The, wor- the earth is the world, and, uh, is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. And so, what is Christ doing as Lord of all of heaven and earth as a second Adam? Well, he's, he's still bringing children into the world. And, but in a different sense, he's bringing spiritual children, faithful people, Christians, those who properly reflect the image of their father, those who properly reflect the image of the son, Jesus is still, he's, well, Jesus is fulfilling this mandate to fill the world with people that properly reflect uh, God's glory. And he does this through us, through the church. Um, certainly through 
believing families, this, we see this take place as believing families have children, as we baptize our children, not our dogs, uh, as we baptize our children and lead them in the way of the Lord and teach them the word of the Lord, we're filling the earth with other image bearers who properly reflect that image in, in Christ. And so that's what Christ is doing in you uh, today, in us, in our families. He's operating as the second Adam and fulfilling this mandate to fill the world with um, those who bring him glory. Any questions or final thoughts on that? Yeah, Soon Han. Same as this? I think so, yeah. So the question is, uh, the, 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 um, the Great Commission, I was thinking of commandment, and I pushed out the word commission from my mind. Um, the Great Commission, given at the end of, uh, of Matthew, where Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples of all, all the nations, is, um, is that essentially a, a repeat of what's happening here? I think the principle, the same principle is at work, so yes, yes. Um, what is he essentially telling his disciples to do? To multiply, to fill the, to fill the world with other disciples, right? Um, how is that done? Well, it's done through the church. It's done through uh, preaching, teaching of the word, through obedience, through sacraments. Um, so yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good uh, observation. Carolyn. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's exactly right, Carolyn. Um, when we get to the flood, it's kind of like a, a repeat, a starting over. Yeah, yeah, uh, very good, yeah. The original world that existed up until that point was destroyed. Um, it was, yeah. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, Adam's sin is still at work. Um, even the New Testament in Peter actually refers to this world as a kind of new world in comparison to the, the old world before the flood. But yeah, there's, some, there's something of a repeat there after the flood uh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for um, uh, the truth that's revealed here. We thank you that um, you are still at work today in the church and uh, bringing into existence spiritual children who are obedient to your word and who reflect your glory as those who are being renewed in the image of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we thank you for this. We pray that you would continue to do this work in us and through us. And we do pray, uh, Father, for those image bearers who do not know you, who are lost in sin. We pray, Father, that you uh, would lead them to the truth and uh, give them hearts to believe in your promises. And Father, use the church to this end. Father, prepare our hearts for worship now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.